Mr. Shallot. Do you know why you're here? Not really. Is this a you show me yours, I'll show you mine thing? No. The network received a number of angry calls this morning. I'm not surprised. Last night's episode of Love, Sydney was a real piece of shit. No, Mr. Shallot. The anger was directed towards you. What the hell for? Your film reviews have been deemed inappropriate. In what fucking way am I in-fucking-appropriate? Well, let's look at your review of Porky's. It starts out well enough. Porky's is a good name for this film. Everyone in it is a pig. I see. But then you move on to the girls' locker room scene. Oh, I like that part. Perhaps a bit too much. I believe you said you'd like to give those actresses... A taste of the other white meat. What's wrong with that? Then... In your review of Death Trap, more like Death Crap, good one, you proceeded to say that Christopher Reeve was so flamboyant, he kept staring at Michael's... Yeah, staring at Michael's cane. Exactly. Look, if this is some equal rights amendment nonsense, I also said I wanted to blow Diane's head off with a cannon. Then there's Victor Victoria. Oh, I like that one. Yes, you did. You called it Victor Victorious, Victor It's Glorious, Victor Uproarious. But when you got to James Garner's performance, you said, Yeah, if he didn't know Julie Andrews was a man when he picked her, he would certainly know once he dicked her. And if there was still any doubt, he'd be sure to find out when old Rockford Files licked her clitorious. I don't see what the problem is. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 43 of Opening Weekend. <laughs> I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear, dear friends, Fred Berman and Dan Matisse. Oh. And today we're jumping in the time machine and traveling back to good old March 19th. 1982 and the release of three motion pictures bob clark's porkies sydney lumet's death trap and blake edwards victor victoria uh, but before we dive into the week's films fred and dan where were you little stinkers in march of 1982 i was stinking up fourth grade at munsey park elementary school mm. In Manhasset of the Long Island. Mm -hmm. And I was in Mrs. Kennelly's class. She was, as I recall, one of my favorite teachers. I always, I, I, I really enjoyed her. She was an older woman, uh, very uh, boisterous and a lot of fun. And what I remember about this time in fourth grade was I was doing a production that you may have heard of. Uh, it's, it's legend proceeds itself. It got very good notices <laughs> in the Munsey Park Elementary uh, newspaper, whatever that was, the, the, the local <laughs> art rag. It was uh, a tale of the gold rush and of oh. intrigue and adventure and the wild and woolly west. Yes, I'm speaking of the fourth grade class's production of Sutter's Secret. Uh, for those who what? saw it, I'm sure there were many of you out there. You may remember... <laughs> The opening number, uh, so picture, if you will, it's the Munsey Park Elementary School Auditorium. The lights go down, the curtain parts, and out walks, as I remember, uh, young Danny Brooks, who was cast as the minor slash narrator of this whole tale. 
and uh, Danny Brooks was wearing a, 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 a gray beard and a cowboy hat and overalls and uh, his, his boots. And he so typecasting. Exactly. Well, we all we all know Danny Brooks. Right. Uh, Danny that, Brooks always oh, that playing. Danny. Yeah, he was like he was like Danny Matisse, always playing the old men. Right. There we go. <laughs> and he, he was a in this case he was a minor and a minor because he was not a <laughs> I see what you did there, Mr. Shallot. <laughs> uh, and he came out, and I remember this because I I still I still sing it to this day and annoy my kids with it. Okay. And he sang in a high falsetto voice, very clear. And I remember he got a note, a very specific note <laughs> from Joan Fretz, who was the music oh. teacher, to really enunciate. <laughs> the title name. So the curtain parted, Danny Brooks walked out and he sang in clear and high voice. Once upon a time, there was a minor. <laughs> Sutter was his name. You may recall. <laughs> Found a golden nugget in his water. <laughs> Changed the course of history for us all. Two, three, four. Go. Those were the days, my friends. Too no. bad they had to end. Oh. Adventure was the wild and woolly west. La 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 la. And I so can't forth and so you on. Remember that much? Wow. Oh God, I really do. And I remember he had, he had a really high, and it was such a shock because Danny was like a sort of an athletic kid and rambunctious, and but he had this like super not like I did, but he had this super clear falsetto voice. And uh, yeah, it always it's always stuck That's out of amazing. my head. It's amazing. I when the last time I found a golden nugget in my water, I had to call the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Love Sydney. We'll be back after these messages. <laughs> Tony Randall, you're eating too much dairy. But why? Why can't I have cheese for every meal? The golden nugget in your water. <laughs> So yeah, we were doing. I, I was a cowboy in that production because they were now at the time, and I apologize to our listeners, but at the time, it was cowboys and Indians. We mm, the term Native yes. American hadn't taken hold yet, so you were either a cowboy, you're an Indian, or if you were a, a girl, you were a can can dancer. Because apparently that makes sense. That yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and then I would think you would have been cast as the Nugget because that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was Berman as Lil Nugget. <laughs> I, I was the smallest kid there with Alex Karras as his dad. And yeah, um, I mean, he, Alex Karras was apparently everywhere in '82. So really with these movies, so. Um, but I remember my. I had one line in the show. My line was, "What type of Indian are you?" And he said, "I'm a scalper." To which I replied, ooh, well, I'll take two tickets to the Islanders game. <laughs> Good and one. I, wait I, wait funny, a second. The funny thing is, I had no idea what it meant. I didn't know what a scalper <laughs> was, either in the Native American sense or in the ticket sense. I figured you improv it. No, no, no. That was my line. <laughs> was no, I, I, don't, I don't do improv. I stick to the script, Dan. Good for you. Good for stick you. to the script. Because the, the playwright... That's that's who I'm serving. That's the playwright yeah. serving the words, yeah. serving the racist words. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you were triumphant in your show, and mom and dad loved it, and everyone loved it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it went over well. It went over well. Good. What were you Good doing? For you. What what uh, for, for what did you receive acclaim, Dan? And, and plaudits. What yeah. was your golden nugget of eighty two? Yes. The, 
at, so, at some point in here, my triumph as Jesus in the Stations of the Cross play happens. But I feel like that's <laughs> earlier than this. Um, but uh, I feel like this is a lot of just like backyard play as the various characters, because I would have been eight, nine in this year going on nine. So I'm still eight. So so uh, this would have been a lot of like and this was elaborate backyard play. I mean, this was like setting up the garage as the inside of the Millennium Falcon, setting up the backyard wow. of like, OK, this part of the backyard is Hoth. This part of the backyard is Dagobah. This part of the backyard is this. This part of the backyard is this. And then my backyard and my friend Alan Janito's backyard where, where we would hop the fence. And so we would have both backyards going as just this giant, vast Star Wars, you know, multi-scape that we That's could go awesome. in each other's houses, out of each other's houses, and just, you know, hop the fence. The parents hated it when we hopped the fence. Um, and, his, and his little brother was always, you know, um, some ancillary char- character. If my sister decided to play, she I don't want to be wedge. Like, yeah, Shut exactly. up. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly but right. I, I was Lobot last week. Shut up. Put the headphones on, kid. <laughs> Shut you up. Shave you. your head. And so that's what what we were doing. But I loved I loved my third grade teacher too, Fred. Third grade was kind of magical. Her name was Miss DeMarco, and she was like, the, she was one of the first ones to be like, oh, this kid. We talked about gifted and talented a couple of weeks ago. She was like, this kid right here. You go to the other learning center a couple times a week and you go learn about Beowulf or whatever the fuck they did over there, <laughs> which was horrible. But, but, um, uh, uh, she was, she was wonderful. And you were reading a lot of German of, classics in third grade. Were you, I mean, why, why were they shoving that at us? It made no sense. That Wait, I seriously, hated. you read Beowulf in third grade. I don't know when I read it, but it was definitely in G and T and it was yeah. definitely like, I don't know what this is. And I don't care. We played a lot of Othello, you know, not the play, but you know, that game with the black disc <laughs> yes. and white disc. We yeah. played a lot of that most frustrating game in the world. That's why I, I wasn't in the G and T program. Cause I can never figure <laughs> that game out. They're like, you stick with Battleship, kid. Yeah, let's leave play Othello, some- Leave Othello to the GNTs. Yeah, how about Wheel of Fortune? How about something I know what the fuck it is? Okay, <laughs> Triominoes, we played a lot of that. We played what? a lot of- we played a lot of that one. Oh, it was ridiculous. Tangrams. You ever have Tangrams? No. It's, a, it's a goddamn thing. That's we, cocaine, it, isn't it? It's a, <laughs> tan, I'll take Tangrams. I'll take Tangrams of cocaine, please. Not Elevan, Tan. Uh- <laughs> No, what we would do, what it is, it's shapes, right? It's all about getting you to sort of see differently. And, and, and it's, it's, you get, I think you get seven or eight shapes. One's a triangle, one's a square, one's a diamond, one's a this. And then you get like a diagram, not not a diagram, but you get a picture and it's like, make that, make that duck out of these seven shapes. Okay. You've done that good. Mm -hmm. Now make this windmill out of those seven shapes. Is this ringing a bell? No. That's what yeah. I used to do with you, Jason, right? When I would give you seven <laughs> shapes and I'd be like, all right, make Ernest Borg nine fucking exactly. Garfield while yes. shoving, shoving Odie up his own ass. Do that. And you would do it. You, do you, it. you truly were gifted and talented. Well, you know, there's, there's, there's some pliability in those seven shapes. You can really. <laughs> and obviously some pliability in Ernest Borg nine as well. Oh, to your well, we knew that. We knew that. Jason, were you do? were you, you were doing, you were surely doing art by the time. See, I would, oh, do, I, was, I would yeah, draw, I, was drawing a lot. I would draw for classmates kind of like you did, but it was all, I would, I would basically just, I, I love to have tracing paper. I don't know if you did that, but mom oh, would always oh, yeah, have yeah. the tracing paper and I would put it over a, over a, a, a cartoon book or uh-huh. a, an empire strikes back book yes. or something like that and sort of trace out, 
you know, Luke Skywalker yeah. with the lightsaber yeah. or whatever. And, and then I would color that later and go, yeah. look what I made. And it's like, yeah. you didn't fucking yeah. make that asshole. You traced <laughs> it. You didn't draw that. But I would, I would present it to people as if I had created it. And the people who didn't know, who weren't in the know were like, that's amazing. You're an artist. And, I, and yeah, that's, yeah. hence I end up in G and T. So fuck you all. This, <laughs> this is around the time that I, st- I, I, I never did use tracing paper for anything, but then, because this was fifth grade for me. Because I'm not a cheater, Dan. No, right. no, 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 no. No, he's always no. kind of one up me. No, I'm just no kidding. but I would like to like get the, you know, I would like to get the 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 logos or the the titles from the comic books just right, like that. You know, the the yes, the font that you know the way the Superman's written in those block letters, or the way the Amazing Spider-Man's written those curved letters on the webbing mm-hmm. and stuff. And yep. those were hard to do freehand. I would trace to get to get those just right, and then I draw my my cover or whatever you might, my, my picture, okay. but I did get, I was kind of in a, at this point I was in a little bit of a competition with this other kid who had been like, I mean, he was, he had been my, like my best friend in second grade. And it was very funny because his name is John O'Donnell and I'm Jason O'Connell. And we were, <gasps> bo- we were born one month apart. We kind of looked a, a little alike. We had all the same, wow. like we both liked to draw. We were both equally into superheroes and the incredible Hulk. And then, we both discovered like Bill Cosby records at the same time and became obsessed with Bill Cosby routines. We both ended up, what's really weird is we weren't in the same fourth grade class and then we come into fifth grade again. And then it's like, Oh, you know, kids like, Oh, will you draw the Hulk or will you draw the Hulk? You know, it's like, oh. they hit us against each other. See, it was like Highlander Hulk was better. It yeah. was yeah. Like, the only one. It was a little, it was a little tense. It was O'Connell like not, or O'Donnell. Which team are you on? It really yeah. was weird. And then the, especially the really since weird you were working is, on commission at that time. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to get the contract to draw Hulk versus whoever? I mean, this is this is a weird thing, but jumping forward like to to like tenth grade or something, because then he then we we didn't um, overlap at all in junior high. I think he went to a different school. He started going to he started going to Catholic school after uh, after the elementary track, and then and oh. I just went to regular public school. So then I never never saw the kid again. But then. In 10th grade, one day I'm like outside my mom's house and he's riding his bike down the street. I hadn't seen him in years. And he's like, hi. And he comes over and he said, there's a little bench on the front, uh, right in front of my mom's house, a little stone bench that was there. And, and he came over and he sat down we started talking and we found out we were both, we were both doing plays. We had both started doing stand-up comedy. We had both. We were both the uh, the wow. wrote uh, the movie reviews for the school newspaper. It's we like a single wow. white female. It was very yeah. weird. It's it was like we were white doing female meets I'm not Rappaport. Or something. We were doing all the same sitting things. on the bench. They're sitting on the bench it. side by side, reminiscing. Yeah. Both as, as as physically fit as those old men. Um, it was uh, <laughs> no, but it was really weird. Anyway, but big big. Uh, but he's a lovely lovely guy, and we've we've crossed paths over the years. Uh, you know, in, in adulthood, he became a school teacher I, i've like done shakespeare workshops at the school he he taught at and oh i thought anyway, you were gonna say cool. like he became a he, he does theater he's <laughs> yeah, married he's to did. a woman named kate <laughs> right no yeah. I, think, I think i think the, the he roads, has a podcast <laughs> the roads diver- he might now who the hell knows but the the roads did diverge at some point but we both um, drill holes in uh, shower stalls and stare <laughs> at uh, the naked girls like we used to when oh, we that, were kids that's evergreen wow. that is evergreen <laughs> you're not gonna stop me from doing that um <laughs> <laughs> oh what the hell it's porkies 
20th Century Fox would like to introduce you to Pee Wee and his pals. Tommy, Mickey, Tim, and the biggest man on campus. Why do they call you meat? Because it's so big? When they're not in class, they're into everything. But what they'd like to get into most is a place called Porky's. I left my idea. Here, use this one. That's my Bible school card. Unfortunately, we can only show you the outside of Porky's. Because what goes on inside is not to be believed. High school friends Pee Wee, Tommy, Billy, and Mickey, played by Dan Monahan, Wyatt Knight, Mark Harrier, and Roger Wilson, respectively, want to lose their virginity. But when they're kicked out of a strip club after the owner, Porky, played by Chuck Mitchell, takes their money, the boys plot revenge. While attempting to get back at Porky, other teenage concerns crop up, including Pee Wee's fears that his equipment is shrinking, a group fascination with the girl's gym teacher, played by Kim Cattrall, and that infamous spy hole in the girl's locker room, which was the hallmark of the film's marketing campaign. Porky's was a surprisingly robust hit, earning $7.6 million over its opening weekend and $111.3 million when all was said and done. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think? Porkies. <laughs> Guys, I got to tell you, and I, I'm saying this in all seriousness, this movie surprised me at every turn. There were so many surprising things about this movie. Some good, some not so good, <laughs> but I was surprised throughout. So first, let me say, I didn't see this movie when it came out. Obviously, I was in fourth grade, but this movie was, it was funny. I was talking about it with Kate and she, the word she said was exactly right. Because she was like, oh, I never saw that when I was a kid. Like, there was something so titillating about it. And there yes. was. Like, this movie was titillating. Titillating. <laughs> see what I did I there? See what you did there. But mythically, it, it had myth associated with there it, were, right? Exactly. For, a little kid, for little kids like us. Yes, there was something mythic about it. And, it, like, it was almost too much. Like, just hearing about it. Like, I, I was like, wait, is this is this, this porn thing? that I've been hearing about is this pornography. Like it was, it was almost too much for me to grasp or to understand. <laughs> so I just, I stayed away from it. And as I got a little older, when it was on cable, I remember being, you know, seeing the girls in the shower and thinking like, oh my, oh my God, they're completely naked. And even there's a scene with the boys when they're waiting in, in the, the shack in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're naked. I'm seeing pubic hair. Like it, there was, there was something so forbidden fruit about it, which in, in retrospect is ironic. There's not that much nudity in this movie. There's mm. really not. There's no. that one scene, but right. there's really not that much at all. But so I had never seen the movie start to finish until just now. Uh, and first of all, there's so much, so many things surprised me. First of all, Bob Clark, who did a Christmas story. Yeah. That a blew me. What? After That's who this. Bob Clark is? Yeah. Bob Clark did it and Christmas Story got a bad rap and bad reviews when it first came out because everybody was like, this is wow. that pig who did Porky's last year. It, wow. This can't be good. Like it really got short shrift critically because he was the director of Porky's. Crazy. Isn't but you know funny? what's so funny? And huh. I'm going to get shit for this. They're very similar in tone. I they're, have that's all my notes. There's something so there's something so you can tell like it's the same director. autobiographical <laughs> about it. And I was looking up and, and it was. I mean, but I, I I was reading about it. Bob Clark grew up in Florida mm. and this is all based on, you know, things that happened when he was growing up. It, to me, it was very much it was like a horny American graffiti, this movie. 
That's what I, I, we have all the same notes. I wrote happy days if Ron Howard was obsessed with his cock. I mean, but it's very, not, not as much, Oh, <laughs> quite as much. I mean, look, if we learned anything from gung ho, Ron Howard <laughs> is obsessed with his cock. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> oh, working the night shift. Yes. <laughs> Splash. Come on. Oh, Yay. for the love of. But he was really an, an Come on. <laughs> it's right we, there. It's the right there. Syllable. Willow. I mean, oh. that's a whole like erectile dysfunction type thing there. Uh, solo, uh, the way he uh, likes it. Well, for God's sake. Frost Nixon. That make that one. I can't make it work. I can't make that one work. And yet you sort of can. You, you kind of can. can. I have been in this business 52 years and I will I've never seen anything like this <laughs> I was also I was surprised how good I thought all the kids were yeah. I I thought the cast was really great they were fantastic there was good. there was no they were all like very clearly defined and and really sort of I, I hate to say it, they're sort of deep characters like they were flawed I mean Here's yeah. the thing. They were they were stupid kids. And that's what the movie, the movie didn't apologize for. Like, these are just kids doing stupid shit in the 50s. I was also surprised right when it starts. So, like, I forgot. I'm like, oh, this takes place in the South in the 50s. And one right. of the first lines in the movie, you're like, yeah, we found the colored guy. And there's the N-word. Yeah. This. And I was like. Right at the beginning. Ooh. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, but it, it, it makes sense. I mean, that's. You know, True. and they say right off the bat, one of the kids, they're like, you're a fucking redneck. You're and he's like, yeah, goddamn right. I'm a redneck. Like, that's who these kids were. Uh, and and so I, I was surprised. I was surprised by the, the language used and in the context. But then I was also surprised how they didn't shy away from it. And they're like, no, this is what it was in the 50s. And it wasn't until the last 20 minutes of the movie where they take revenge on Porky. Mm-hmm. That part, I I was like, eh, okay. That, then, then it got a little. It's a little much. Yeah, it was too much. But before then, I thought, I was like, wow, this is really like, like you said, happy days. Or I was thinking like, this is this is sort of like American graffiti. Very American but, graffiti, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it makes, uh, it makes, and now that you say that, you know, I mean, it makes sense to me now the line to why he got hired, Bob Clark got hired to make Christmas Story, because that's Gene Shepard's autobiography biographical work but it's but it's the way he tells the story it's very similar he he kind of taps into just it's just a string of vignettes around a time and uh you know around this certain world and like the life of a of a kid and it's just the life of a kid at two different points on the timeline i had never saw a frame of this movie except like shots of the of the never saw any of it knew nothing about it except that it was like you know nudity girls in a shower i mean everything they really when i say that in the beginning about the marketing it's like they took that one scene and the image of a girl i mean literally i think the poster is is the the owen porkies is like somebody's (laughs) eye like looking through the hole and and there's like a a naked girl like reaching for like a towel or something and it's against the linoleum of the the shower and that's that's the only image i've ever had associated with this film i didn't even realize it was a period piece i didn't know it took place in the 50s i knew Mm -hmm. nothing about it i assumed it was going to be like zapped or losing it or something like that (laughs) so i just had a very different expectation going in so i grapple with the thing of like oh yes it is more than i thought it was going to be is it good or is it just surprising that it's 
mm-hmm. has more on its a, a, a more on its mind and more craft behind it than what I assumed this was, which is just right. going to be like, you know, a locker room thing, just like just girls running around and boobies shaking at the camera, <laughs> you know, um, I think it is better as a result, but how much better? I'm still grappling with that. Anyway, Dan, please. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you, Fred, on the on the the sort of the myth of it. I remember sort of you're exactly right. You would catch a scene of it at a friend's house because it was on cable and mm-hmm. it would have to be very clandestine and very like, hey, Porky's is on. Come in here. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. You'd, you'd catch them you, before somebody's mom or 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 somebody would walk in the room. You'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's that it's that movie. It's that yeah. movie, that totally. raunchy raunchy movie you know or or you know I, I sort of i seem to remember it being on like on cable and my cousins were watching it at like my grandmother's or something like that and they'd be like what are they watching in there and they'd be, get out of here and you'd ca- you'd sort of ca- it was like you'd catch it but only like little parts of it because i was i was stunned at how much of this movie i actually did recall you know, so I must have yeah. seen larger chunks of it. It's, there were whole long, long sections of this that I was like, I don't remember this at all, at all, at all. But there, were, the there were parts of it where I was like, oh, I remember that. I'm, I remember Miss Ballbricker grabbing the kids, you know, wang through the through the hole in the shower. Yeah. I do remember. I did recall that, you know, I remembered mm. some other parts of it. I remembered the kid like as each kid was introduced. Uh-huh. I remember going like, holy shit, I remember him. Mm. I remember. Yeah. Him. Oh, that's right. Meat. And there was the tall, skinny yeah. kid. Like they're the two sort of like the ringleaders. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember their faces and stuff yeah. like those weren't a shock to me. So, yeah, you're right. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is it's ringing all these kind of bells, these little kid bells of like this was that naughty, raunchy, dirty movie that I wasn't wasn't supposed to see. Damn it. I told you we were going to miss him. Well, it's OK, P. We take it easy. We'll get him next time. Yeah, but Miss Walker, a real woman. And I missed her. Hey, we are about to get laid by an exotic dancer in a few hours. That's a real woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. I got to go home and warm up. Warm up. Unfortunately, you know, this movie for me is uh, I kept I kept rooting for Miss Ballbricker to win. (laughs) I just I I loathed and despised all of these characters so much. (laughs) I just hated them so fucking much. Really? You know, this is where this gets sort of planted in people's brains of like, it is your job as a young man to to petition women for sex to get sex. If you do not achieve that, you're a loser. Right. And, and um, it is the woman's job to either be compliant or to deny it. Uh, and if they deny it, then they're a bitch and they're cold and frigid. And if they are compliant, then they, they're cool, quote unquote. And, and anyone who doesn't fit the mold is to be shit. There's a lot of fat shaming in this movie as, a, a, oh, yeah. as oh, yeah. well as racism that, like you said, gets dealt with ish, but, um, not really. There's anti-Semitism, which gets dealt with a little more. The Scott Columbia yeah. character, who I mm-hmm. thought he was very good. I, I thought he and the it. guy who played yeah. Meat were the best, two best people in it. Yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved yeah, that guy. They were great. Yeah, they were great. You know, um, but uh, I, I just find the movie to be morally morally bankrupt. You, you can <laughs> chart the course of America's toxic, ma- the growth of America's <laughs> yes. toxic masculinity. You can kind of chart it from this movie going forward. I, I, yeah. I re- and and I hated that it ended with the yes. one guy's girlfriend granting sex to peewee yeah, and being like yeah really okay come it. on it's like like that's the that's it, the culminating act of this whole thing i was kind of sickened by it dan the sheilas kept dropping as yeah the, i mean yeah. it was i was like i was like this is not 
I, this is not. This still doesn't connect with me. This is not the kind of movie I would have liked then. Honestly, yeah. I don't. I you know it's I because I feel the same way about all those sex comedies. And I I remember even even when all I was thinking about in my own life was when will I have sex? How can I have sex? Will I have sure. sex? Who will have sex with me? Even then, I did not like movies about guys just solely trying to have sex it just didn't it didn't stimulate me i because i you know i was like because i didn't see it in those terms like you know like right. like how do we get the girl to do it was like that kind of transactional thing or like ticking right. off a box never yep. was interesting to me another way it's very similar to a christmas story is that you you start off the movie the the protagonist the sort of, you know, the, the, the main character that we're sort of, you know, going through their eyes, like Ralphie or Peewee in this case, right off the bat, you're like, all right, we have one goal. Ralphie wants the Red Ryder BB gun, you <laughs> know? the same thing. And, and in the end, the same thing. But that's what it is. That's what it he is. wants. And, and he gets it at the end. Okay. Yeah. And, th- but then there are consequences to it. You know, he gets it and he does. He almost shoots his eye out. Right. Mm-hmm. right. With this, it's fine to say that that's what he wants to do. He wants to get laid. Okay. That's fine. That's great. And that's, that's something that you can say, okay, this is what kids of that time thought of. But yeah, you're right, Dan. And you're right, Jason. Like you want to, th- th- there's got to be a little turn. I wonder if there are any kites around here we can fly. Hey, listen, Kavanaugh. It's not kites. It's kike. K-I-K-E. Kike. You know, you're too stupid to even be a good bigot. The scene that I I found really interesting uh, and very honest was when Billy and Tommy, when they're they're trying to to talk with uh, Brian, the Jewish character uh, played by Scott Columby. And they're saying, they're like, look, we don't agree with Tim. Tim's the really racist, the, the one who's got the dad. Again, I, yeah. I found a very interesting character. They're like, oh, this guy's just a redneck dick. No, he's got this problematic relationship with his father. I thought, wow, I didn't expect that from a movie named Porky's. It's like the October but, Sky thing with like the yeah, dad, totally. the father. Then, yeah. But they're talking to him. They're like, look, you know, we don't agree with him. We don't like the way he's treating you, but he's our friend. He's a good guy. He's just, you know, he's got problems at home. And, and then Brian's like, well, no, he's a prick. He's, he's, he's yeah. a dick. Like I know he's your friend, but he's, but he's a dick. Yeah. And I, I was really surprised by the honesty of that conversation. And especially of the two kids being like, we don't agree with what he's doing, but he's our friend and we're trying to be there for him. And I was like, wow. And I feel like if they took that approach and I guess I really perked up at that moment being like, holy shit, this is. I, it was this an unexpected is, this, scene in the middle of yeah, it. This yeah. This screenplay is going in a place I didn't expect it to. And I feel like if they use that honesty with the sex part of it yes, as well. good point. You know, but instead, but you're absolutely right. But no, they don't do that. They're just like, hey, go in and have sex with Pee Wee. And she's like, okay, I will, because that's my job as a <laughs> right. female. Yeah. My, yeah. My la- and you're yeah. like, what the fuck? Uh, my last note is, yeah. Wendy deserves better. <laughs> but <laughs> I, mean, really I mean, that girl really deserves better. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, You know, you talk about like it needed a turn or it needed some heart. And it's like, yes, it absolutely did. And to have the end of the movie be until we get to the moment where he finally gets to have sex to be all about the destruction of Porky's strip club. I I, I found it very uh, unsatisfying for something totally. that's supposed to be like that the, the fucking movie's named Porky. I, I kept thinking, I was like, why is it named Porky's? Right. I, I, I can't yeah. really follow it. And then I'm like, oh, I guess because there's going to be this big climactic moment, but there's nothing learned. There's nothing gained. If anything, it's, it's, it's over the top. And actually 
cruel might be the wrong word, but I I actually felt it was an outsized response when the when the cop is like is like shooting the I was like, you're going to get yourself killed and you deserve it. What are you doing? Yeah. It was like the intensity of the corruption of, of the police officer at the end was distasteful. I was like, and it's like, it's like as if you, we talk about the Christmas story model, because you're exactly right, Fred. I wrote, I was like, it's the whole, the pursuit of losing the virginity is the pursuit of the BB gun. And yes, the idea that it's not all it's cracked up to be is the, mm-hmm. is the thread to pursue. Like the, you know, that it doesn't mean anything without emotion, without friendship, yeah. without love, without something, without mutual respect, anything, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be the end up being Pee Wee's wife that he has sex with, but it should have, <laughs> you know what I mean? Something, something deeper. And it doesn't go there. Instead, it it has that big scene at Porky's and then, oh yeah, that's right. We got to get this kid laid on the bus at the end. Oh. It, it, it's as if a Christmas story he just goes back to the mall and just blows up Santa's workshop and is like, just fuck, he didn't give me the answer I wanted about the BB gun. So fuck, taking him down, taking the elves down, just Jesus. like knocking mannequins over, and like torching shit at Macy's. Like that's kind of what it would be like. I was like, I don't get the point of this movie. And honestly, anything revolving around sex was like, or their handling of sex yeah. was the least interesting stuff to me. Like yeah. the Kim Cattrall thing, I was like, "This is ridiculous!" Like it was interminable. That scene well, where I was like, that, that went on for I a hated long it. So time. Long. But I was like, "What's going to be the upshot of this?" Okay, they're setting this up in 946 scenes with Boyd Gaines, who I yeah, love. Who's I great? Love Boyd Gaines, I love Kim. You know, Kim Cattrall is very good too. But but it's I, felt I mean, bad they're for committed. Her the whole time. I was like, man, this is her whole career. Good for her. So get, get, take that Sex in the City money and go live on a private island or whatever. I was like, the things yeah. that a, an actress had oh, to go had through. To go if through. you're starting your career in the late 70s or 80s, uh, and yeah, kind of yeah. shit you had to do if you're an attractive woman just to get to a point where it's like, and now you might get this script and now you might get this job. Yeah, maybe. Like, now, now Dan, in, in your opinion, what, Dan, in your opinion, what would be more demeaning for Kim Cattrall, playing the role of Lassie or acting opposite Andrew McCarthy in Mannequin? Oh, that's I know you good, have strong feelings. A good question because he's he, I did Mr. McCarthy if you're I, listening, I love your work. <laughs> I think you're fantastic. And I say uh, that in all sincerity. Well, it just goes in line with what Jason is saying. It's like that's what you have to go through. That's the torture you have to go through in the 80s. You've got to go through McCarthy if you want to get to Stoltz and then eventually get to a Sean Penn or a Tom Cruise if that's you want to if the, you want to make cleansing it fire that is yeah, the cleansing McCarthy. fire of McCarthy. <laughs> The, 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 you know, you have the perfect symbol in Porky's, right? It's like, okay, we're going to destroy the, we're going to destroy Porky's and then learn something about what sex isn't because it's like Porky's, it represents the, the, everything that we think sex is or was, or supposed to be women being objectified, all of that stuff. And it's like, okay, we're going to move on from that and have learned anything. No, they, like you said, Jason, they go right back to the, the, the Porky's is incidental to yes. their journey. Okay. <laughs> yes. so the other thing that's incidental to their journey is the Boyd Gaines um uh uh, uh Kim Kim thing. thing. It's like, yeah. okay, this is gonna have an upshot that resonates somehow in the broader plot. Nope, it doesn't. She just goes, ooh, and 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 it's a and it's a joke that they all laugh at. The most offensive scene in this thing is when they ball bricker goes to the principal's office mm-hmm. and the principal is there, Boyd Gaines is there, and the other two gym teachers are there, and they are just it is an interminable scene. It is I, deeply, yes. deeply disturbing. They're just laughing at a woman's concern. That's yeah. all they're yeah, doing. Right, Dan. Wow. And then you get a slow push in to the smirking, smug face 
of Dwight D. Eisenhower. It may as well have been Reagan. You know what I mean? It's like, and that is the final image of that scene of like, (laughs) stupid women, men rule. Holy shit, you're right, Dan. Yeah. I was sick to my stomach at the end of that scene. I was was impressed in that scene scene because I thought, I was like, wow, she's the woman who plays Miss Baldricker was doing a really great job. Like, I I couldn't believe how long it went. Again, another moment I'm like, wow, they are playing this scene out. And she was, she was committed to it. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Five young boys in the nude. A police lineup so that you can identify his tallywhacker. Please, please, can we call it a tallywhacker? Now listen, we have got to do it as distasteful as it is. It was driving me mad. I was like, shut the fuck up back there. I was like, this is a weird scene. And I felt bad for the, I I was impressed by the actor and I felt bad for her and both actors. Cause that's two people trying to play a scene. That that's what it was, Dan. I I was thinking disrespect for the actor. I was like, this is a miserable way to have to play your scene, but it's more about the, what it's saying obviously about, about women and a women's yeah. claims. And I, I will say my it's other thing, uh, you have no place in Ike's society. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's I mean, that's, that is a, that is an astute commentary, Dan. I'm giving you a little applause here because that is, that is some, Oh, you're very kind. That you're is some good kind. criticism. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say the, the scene, the locker room scene though, and the, and the uh, the the gym teacher grabbing the penis, which is ridiculous, ridiculous, and <laughs> wrestling the kid's penis through the hole. I was like, this is this is like the uh, the flagpole scene in a Christmas story in a way. It's like, oh my god, it's like, you're right. It's, 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 oh, it's structured wow. in the same way. It's like here's a bunch of kids. Like, I dare you to do it. I dare you to do it. I do it, and then there's the consequence. Like you know, yeah. like the tongue against the flagpole and not being able to remove it. It's like sticking your penis through a hole and having some some woman you don't want touching it grab it and pull. That was hilarious. the irony is that Scotty Schwartz, who is the kid who sticks his tongue against the pole in a Christmas story, would end up doing things like sticking his dick through holes <laughs> right. because he went into porn in later. Porn. That's so. the deep irony of that. Um, wow. You, you mentioned, right, the, you mentioned that's a brilliant corollary. You mentioned, Fred, the, um, the, the sort of uh, the unexpectedness of that, of the what I think might be the one good scene in it, which is the Scott Columbia scene where he's like, no, he's a prick. Mm-hmm. But then there's two more upshots to that storyline. One is in the locker room. They're like, no, nah, come on. He's a good guy. And he ate. And Scott Columbia's character sort of has a crisis of conscience of like, yeah, maybe I was too hard on him. I didn't realize he was abused. You know, his his dad is an abusive father. And maybe that's why, you know, it's the thing of, you know, you've got to be carefully taught. Right. It's like, okay, this comes from somewhere. I wondered what you thought of that scene. But then the but then the final upshot is if his final line to the father after. Oh, Jesus. He said he says he says. um, No, I wrote it it down. I wrote it down, too. uh, he's, I'd rather be queer. Yeah. Yes. Right. That was- yeah. In in a, in a week where we saw two movies that yes. really sort of celebrated, yes. I was like, wow, yeah. in 1982, they're, right. there's this, like, they're showing these movies celebrating these homosexual relationships. Yeah. And then, you, and then in, so the worst things to be in the Porky society are a anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic, abusive dad. Number two, gay. Number three, a woman, a woman, number, yeah. <laughs> number four, 
Um, a an African American male, apparently. Number five, Porky. You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> the, these are the Porky. these are the things <laughs> these are the things that are not acceptable in Ike's society. It's yeah. That's really interesting. I couldn't yeah. believe. I I had to rewind. I was I, like, wait, 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 wait. What, what did he say? Did, did he just say queer? I was like I the heroic the heroic line of the movie, like the right. big is I'd rather be queer, and that's oh supposed to be the stand up and cheer line. And wow. then, and then, and then the little, uh, you know, the little homophobia button on the scene is Boyd Gaines saying, hey, you girls going to kiss? Are we going to? Yeah. Right. They're like, <sighs> the guys are like <laughs> celebrating a moment of friendship right. and camaraderie. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, All right, hey, well, ladies, hey, what ladies. are you going to make out? It's like, oh, man, this was like uh, bankrupt, bankrupt from top to bottom. Dare and, I and, ask how many Sheila's you would give it? Oh, God. I liked when Meat's face went into the chili, so I give one Sheila for that. <laughs> that would make me. Jump. You're right, though. Meat was really good. He's good. That guy was that really good. Was really good. He's good. Yeah. He's doing. He's doing stuff, and and it's and it's you know uh, uh, that that's a that's a part that that could easily just be over the top doltish, but he yeah. actually gives it some. Some depth, especially yeah. when he finds out he didn't get into Princeton or whatever, and the, yeah, and it was the good. face falls into the chili scene. I like that. Yeah. I, I really recognize, like I said, I, I was really surprised by all the acting and all the actors, that main gang. They were all, re I thought, really clearly defined. And like I recognized, like I, I, I definitely had a peewee meat relationship because I was always like the little guy. <laughs> Jesus. No, I mean, wow, well, wow, that came out. <laughs> I think we found right. our, our, our catch, catchphrase for this week's episode. Um, Quote, I definitely had a peewee meat relationship. I have been in this business 52 years and I will... I've never seen anything like this. Anyway, all that's to say, I don't know. I'll give it three Sheilas because I was surprised. And I, and as I said, I'm going to fall right in between you guys. I had gone at one point. I was like, is this four Sheilas? Is this four? <laughs> Me too. At yeah. one point. And <laughs> then over the last like 20 minutes, it was like watching, you know, it was like watching the stock market crash or something. <laughs> I, I, was like, I was like, the Dow was going down. And it, it, it ended up at two for me. I was like, man. They are really not sticking the landing with this movie. Uh, not that, again, not that it was, you know, making great strides earlier, but it was surprising me. And I was like, hmm, maybe, you know, a movie like this, it's like, it's all going to be in the resolution. Do they do they have those kinds of reckonings and those kinds yeah. of moments of uh, light bulbs going off and, and growth that will lead me to recommend it and say, oh, look how these characters have grown from beginning to end. And other than the fact that, somebody who was anti-Semitic is a little less anti-Semitic by the end. It really, there's not much more than that. So, I mean, so kudos for that, but it's, it's too Sheila. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you, Fred, you made a good point earlier about like, Hey, all the dude characters are pretty, uh, are, are, are pretty, um, um, sharply drawn. There's 947 yeah. of them and they're right. all, they, they spend time sharply drawing each one. They don't do that with any of the women except Wendy a little. All of the others are ciphers. And it's like, and there's your problem doormat. with the movie. Yeah. The thing about yeah, the, totally. the, uh, Wendy's character trait is that she's good humored about all of it. Yeah. They can get her to she's say. She's cool. She's a cool Right. Chick. She's cool right. because she'll she'll have sex with the guy if he, if he wants to. Or she'll, she'll not take these jokes personally. You can come at her with a yep. blown up condom and she'll giggle. You can make her say, uh, has anyone seen my cunt at a... Uh, mm -hmm. At her restaurant job, and she'll be like, "You guys, you know yeah. her her willingness to go along 
yeah. is is considered her great strength. And that's yep. an ugly uh, lesson as well. Okay, 1.5 shells. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I wish that the guys, when they were like staring through the, the peepholes, I wish they had watched Michael Caine's acting on film class because they would have known because they were there was too much blinking. There was too much blinking don't through that peephole. And if they watched, they would know you, you don't blink. I never blink. You don't blink. When you're looking at, at the naked women in the shower, you don't blink. Just keep your eye, let it water, but don't blink because this time it's personal. <laughs> My death trap is personal. Miss Bullbrigger. You've got a death trap between your legs. Oh, 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 Jesus oh, oh, oh. Christ. That motherfucker really doesn't blink. You're right. <laughs> he does not blink. There were moments in this movie. I was like, I'm like, is that a still photograph? Or is that Michael Caine acting? <laughs> oh, you guys, it's death trap. Sydney people are always interested in psychics who can point at someone and say, that man murdered that man. Are you trying to say that you don't think that you can trust me? Death trap. Death trap. Death trap. To show you any more would be a crime. So join Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve, and Diane Cannon in Ira Levin's Death Trap. When once successful playwright Sidney Bruhl, played by Michael Caine, sees his latest Broadway effort bomb on its opening night, he tumbles into despair until he receives a package from his former student Clifford Anderson, played by Christopher Reeve. Inside is an unproduced script that's better than anything Sidney has written in years. Despite the protestations of his wife Myra, played by Diane Cannon, Sidney undertakes a plan to lure Clifford to his country home, murder him, and then announce the script as his own work. Directed by Sidney Lumet and based on the play of the same name by Ira Levin, Death Trap features a same-sex kiss which, in 1982, was considered quite scandalous, especially as it involved Reeve at the height of his Superman fame. Death Trap was well-reviewed, but was also deemed similar in plot to Kane's film Sleuth from a decade earlier. In the end, Death Trap earned a total of $19.3 million after a $2.2 million opening weekend. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Death Trap? By the, when it was over, I kept going, did I miss something? Did I miss something? Did I miss something? Or is there something I missed? Is there something that that character, to, to talk about this movie is very hard because you really, you, 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 it's hard yeah. to talk about the ending of this movie, I guess, is really hard because it's like, yeah, you don't right. want to give it away. But do I not want to give it away? I kind of do. <laughs> you can. I kind of want to give it away. It's 40 years old. Yeah. So. If you don't want Death Trap spoiled, skip ahead. Jump ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, for, before I do that, before I destroy the ending of Death Trap, have you guys ever read or seen the play? No. Okay. This was what this was driving me nuts because okay. I have a recollection of seeing the play. I don't remember where or okay. where. I think maybe when I was in England, I saw a production. Do you so recall I if it ends the way the movie ends? I don't remember. I can't remember okay. for the life of me. I All knew right. I, I, I knew there was one there was one spoiler. Again, I don't want to give too but the, the, the relationship between uh spoiler, the relationship between Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. Like I'm like, oh, I think that's coming. I think that's mm. coming up. But it was driving me nuts. I'm like, I know I have such a a, a a hazy recollection of seeing this play somewhere, but I don't remember the ending at all. As a matter of fact, okay. again, this is a spoiler, so jump ahead. It's hard not I, to. I, I mean, you guys. I could have sworn it, that right? the Diane Canna. I thought that the wife came back at some point. 
I, I thought that too. that That's was the twist. What I thought, okay, That's and this, thought. this makes this very hard to talk about because I I don't think this ends with spoiler. The the play ends with with the clairvoyant character being the. I mean, the end of this was like the ultimate cop out to me. Uh, I was yeah. just like, you have care. I'm paying attention so hard to this goddamn thing at four in the morning when I'm watching it to yeah. pick up. Anything that's a clue, because they're dropping all these clues and these subtle hints and the and the knife and the gun and the mace and the this and and the fireplace is going to come into play. Okay, remember this, like you do when you read an Agatha Christie novel or when yeah. you watch Murder on the Orient Express. Everything's a clue. <laughs> By the end of this, fucking nothing's a clue. You could have thrown it all out. You know, I think this this misses the boat on the ending, and I think it might be because, and this is frustrating me too, Fred, because the play doesn't end this way. I think they had trouble ending the play the way, ending the movie the way that the play ends. And now I want to go read the play and go, aha! So maybe in a coming week, you know, maybe I'll find yeah. a moment to read the play and go. Oh my God, this is how it's supposed to fucking end. Because I can't imagine the play ends with the way it does because it's so carefully crafted and so carefully sculpted to set up certain certain things. And I think the wife comes back too in the play. Yeah. I really think I remember that from, from having, you know, read it or heard about it or or I have never seen the play. That I know. But, yeah. but just people talking about it. I mean, it's one of these plays that has made the summer stock rounds forever. We've all known yeah. people who've done it or seen it or been right. around it. You know, it's a summer stock staple. Irene is it's Irene. Irene, Irene, Irene. Irene. It's not yeah. yeah. I, I didn't like her from the beginning. As soon as she came I in. I agree with you. I fell asleep when she came on. I did too. I was like, I was like, I tuned out when she entered. I said, I got to read it. I tuned out when the Swedish chef came to visit. <laughs> But everything else is great so far. I had to go back and rewatch because I fell asleep. I'm like, what? Am I watching First Daughter again? I didn't I fall out. I didn't fall asleep, but I couldn't understand what she was saying, and I was like, that's not helpful. Bork, bork, bork. She just kept ruining but, it. But I agree. Oh. Up until that point, and even and then after, I was really enjoying it. I thought Christopher Reeve was fantastic. He I was, thought he was good. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, yeah I th- it was Wonderful. so great. I thought everyone was really good. Even Diane Cannon, who was like a little over the top. Yeah. I enjoyed what she did. It was a nice balance. The contrast. Yeah. Uh, she and, got and a I, Razzie award for this. And I was like, I, know I, and saw I was like, that. I was like, really? I was like, it's not. No, I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad. It's just, you know, it's, it's not theatrical. He, she's not Michael Caine. It's yeah. very theatrical. Yeah. But I, but I liked it. It was, it was a nice contrast. But, yes. But man, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it was really, it was Christopher Reeve. That was so much fun. And especially when the turns begin and you know yes. what I kept thinking I was like holy shit if if they would did if they had done American Psycho back then like he's Patrick mm-hmm. Bateman you know Ooh, he's a Patrick good. Bateman character that sociopathic thing but you can he, tell, he was having uh, he, so much fun he had so much fun playing with all the different colors all the things that he doesn't get to do as Superman I, I mean the the mischief in his eyes the evil the fear you know that's yeah. a character who has we we know him as Superman a guy who has nothing to fear really ever but like the to see him really like yeah. he was just great the yeah. dawning awareness on his face about with all the I mean the storytelling was he was crystal clear when you get that yes. he the penny starts to drop for him about what's happening and what you know I was really scared the tension was pretty unbearable and it's mostly because of how he's selling it why are you burning it there's nothing incriminating still I'll say I was getting rid of manuscripts as the grim reaper struck plus you stated the truth the better farewell death trap would that you were the genuine article. Some something that jumped out at me, and this could be 
I could be crazy because I was trying to get the kids to watch this. I just ended up watching it, uh, just Kate and I, but I, I, I was selling it to Izzy because she loves Knives Out. And in watching it, and I wondered, maybe I'm crazy. Did you guys see Knives Out? Yes. Chris Evans, fantastic in it. And again, this could be a really uh, dumb thought, but Chris Evans in Knives Out is wearing a lot of sweaters and like high neck turtleneck sweaters. (laughs) And I kept thinking, okay, Christopher Reeve was Superman and he's wearing this sweater (laughs) vest and these turtlenecks. Chris Evans is Captain America, America. And that's what he's wearing. Like, I, I kept thinking, was that sort of like a, a subtle nod? Homage, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I could be crazy. But that was the, as soon as he appeared, Christopher Reeven, this wearing that yeah, yeah, the big yeah. bulky sweater cardigan type thing. That, that's what I thought of. Well, yeah, listen, I funny. mean, it makes sense to say, OK, we need to cast someone who is universally liked and trusted in the role yeah. of, you know, in the role of sociopath. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or somebody yeah. who could potentially be a sociopath. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that the, oh, we finally have a gay relationship. Oh, they're sociopaths, you know what right, I mean? Right, they're right, murderers. Sure. Oh, they're, 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 yeah. they're, and it's like, ah, man, why does that have to be? But at the time, I wonder if it was considered progressive, you know, to say, hey, hey, like you said in your intro, hey, there's gay characters. You know, we're finally seeing gay characters on screen. There's a gay kiss. There's a, you know, there, there's a kiss yeah. between two, two gay characters. But unfortunately, they're murdering. They're murdering. Yeah. Yeah. La, you know, right. Leopold and Loeb. You know, I, it's like I we think we were talking about with Silence of the Lambs. Exactly. And, and, That's what I know, thought trans of. Trans representation. It's like, oh, they can only be depicted on screen if they also have this sort of you know, um, 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 that there's something, there's something broken. There's something, yeah, uh, um, you know, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, something warped. And yeah. And you're thinking it's coming from a play. It was originally a play. So obviously yes. when Ira Levin, I don't know anything about Ira Levin, but obviously homosexuality in the theater world is, was never a taboo subject was never like that. Right. Was just, yeah. That's uh, a good point. Part too. of it. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, and it's it, a convenient thing for him to have, you know, for this married man to then for the twist right. to be, oh, this is his gay lover. And so it, yeah. it amps yes. up the stakes and it throws you off balance. And so it's more a device than anything else in that regard. So because they because they don't lean into Good like the, fa- the fact that they are gay doesn't really. It's just a, a it's circumstance. The it's, it's, yeah, it's, you're it's right. Just, it's just, a, it just the they happen to be gay. It doesn't really then right. color any of the proceedings after in in any in any significant right. way, which I think is a good thing. Uh, you yeah. know, but I, I appreciated so. that as well. They never yeah. really talk about it. There's one, I think Michael Caine has one line where he's like, this is what I'm going to be considered. You know, they're going to call me, uh, yeah. Does he say faggot? I can't remember. He does. He does, he does. Say it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. He does. Um, say that. um, two quick things. I, 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 I'm just looked at the, the, the summation, the synopsis of the, of the play, uh, don't at, ruin it. Don't ruin it. At, no, no, no. It's not. <laughs> it won't ruin it. I'm supposed it to, to say, do it next year at Summerstock. I, pro- <laughs> <laughs> I promise you it won't ruin it to say this, but I, we're, we're, we're the, 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 the wife does not come back. She is. She dead. doesn't. Yeah. Huh. But, but there is something, it does end slightly differently, um, but not wildly differently. How about that Sidney Lumet? You know, I mean, he's, he's wise enough. He's one of the great directors. Um, mm-hmm. He's wise enough to know, hey, this was a play. 
it plays out like a play. So much of this is long drawn out scenes yeah. like a play, you know, oh, yeah. and he, he gives it a unit set. He doesn't try, you know, the beginning is set in the, in, on Broadway, at the music box theater. That got me so nostalgic. I, I gotta know. say. Oh God. So cool to see that. Yeah. Just seeing, uh, uh, you know, people acting on the stage and the yep. audience. Yeah. yeah. I got choked up. Oh. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, it was really so cool. I was like, and Oh my God. See the Broadway audience. And then he gets yeah. on the Long Island Railroad out to, yeah. to, 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 to the to Hamptons and everything. And, and, you know, that was really cool to see, but really everything else in this movie is a unit set like it would yeah. be in a play. And I think that's strong, but, but, um, you know, oh my God, Lumet is responsible for so many movies that I love, including one of my favorite movies of all time, 12 Angry Men, which is also oh my gosh, from a play, right. you know, which is also from a play that's and takes right. place basically in, in one, one, room. one room. So yeah. he's sort of the master of the one room <laughs> movie that, that, that was once a play, but I mean. Serpico, you know, I mean, just so many great dog day afternoon, dog day afternoon. so many yeah. great movies that we love the verdict. Oh my God. And, oh, wow. uh, uh, he's That's one right. of the, I think he's one of the, one of the great, uh, the great, uh, American directors. I really the verdict do. also this year, he had a very prolific year in oh, 1982. Wow, wow. Big year. Yeah. 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 This couldn't have taken that long to shoot this movie because it is that unit set. Probably thing, not. Know, which I thought was I, really I, one thing I, I thought was a weird choice. And I was like, I guess this is supposed to be foreshadowing or something. Mm. And, you know, we were talking about how potentially progressive the homosexual relationship is. I I didn't understand. There's a lot of pink lighting. There's a lot of pink backlighting and odd pink lighting, which I I, I can't think of a circumstance in which that little house out there on Long Island would have bright neon pink lighting outside of the uh, so there was a lot of that and i was like is that supposed to be like uh That's you know and it, and it's you know it's it's all before and when we meet christopher reeve and then and then it actually maybe once we know the characters are gay maybe it doesn't come back i noticed that too is know. that purpley pink lighting in one part of the room the whole time very strange yeah it was kind of yeah it almost felt like there was like a a sunroom or a mudroom or something that had that that was lit in a way that you know what I mean like it wasn't didn't seem like it was coming from outside the house it was like from within but it wasn't in the main room it was very odd but then it kind of filtered through and and you know it certainly visually was a, a presence throughout a lot of the movie and I thought well that's odd I'll buy that well when Reeve goes you know give me that give me that script you know what I mean it's like <laughs> yeah. oh my god I've never seen Superman be so angry you know what I mean? And yeah. What I about mean, in the junkyard? Except, except in Superman 3. I, I <laughs> yeah. was going to say, it was shades of what he did the following year in Superman 3. I was like, oh, yeah. And he starts barking at the his doppelganger there in the junkyard. It's oh pretty funny. God. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, he did get to. I wonder if he did Death Trap. And then he was like, I got to. Come on, I want to. I want to strut a little. I want to. I want to. Yeah. I want to yeah. spread my wings a little on the next one. Let me do some other interesting shit. You always wanted to fly, Kent. Now's your chance. Mm. I imagine you having a similar confrontation in your own junkyard with John O'Donnell. <laughs> Just yelling at each other, oh, the two doppelgangers yes, drawing pictures yes. of the Hulk, and, and then they sit on the bench and talk it out instead of, <laughs> instead of fighting. God, God, God! How many Sheilas? You go first, Fredo. I'm feeling five and a half. Yeah, I'm gonna go with you, right? Exactly with you, Fredo. I, 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 I like the performances. I liked, I liked how it was playing out. I was interested a a good chunk of the way through this. 
I think to miss the to to do so much setup and have me so leaned in and so involved and listening so hard, and then the only thing I was thinking at the end is like I missed something. I must have missed something. Yeah. I didn't understand what that ending was. I just felt like the rug was pulled out from the entire movie in the last five minutes. And so I can't go higher than five and a half because it affected my enjoyment of it so much to take nothing away from Kane and Reeve, who were excellent. Yeah, I can't great. go above five and a half. I can barely just barely recommend it. Yeah. Wow. I'm going seven and a half because okay, I okay. loved Kane and Reeve and I and the yeah. ending didn't bother me that much. I was like, eh, didn't didn't quite stick that landing, but it didn't. And yeah, and that's why it's not, you know, it's not the nine and a half that uh, Knives Out is, you know, for a million reasons. Yeah. But um, yeah. uh, my thought was not unlike Porky's where it was like, oh, God, it's just sliding into the abyss. <laughs> this one, I was like, ah, weird, weird ending. <laughs> I loved them so much. I'm going to go I mean, the scene where nine. Diane Cannon grabbed Michael Caine's wang and just started yanking on it. <laughs> yes. That, yes. Would, that was confusing to me. And he was like, don't yeah. blink. Whatever you do, don't blink. Wang. He was telling his Wang to not blink for some reason. Master, Master Wang. Master. <laughs> Wang, it's a parking lot. Come on. No, that's from another movie. Very different movie. Don't tell them you're Jewish, Wang. <laughs> How great would Michael Caine have been as Al Chervik? So what? So let's dance. So let's dance. Shot the dance of the living dead in you. Hey, we're all going to take a shower. <laughs> this is the worst hat I ever saw. You get a bowl of soup with this hat. <laughs> Looks good on you, though. <laughs> God, I would have loved that. For those who aren't following, this is Michael Caine as Ronnie Dangerfield's character in Caddyshack. First of all, you never change eyes, and what you do is you pick an eye. Now, which eye do you pick? I look at, with this eye, because the camera is there, I look at this eye, at your eye there, mm -hmm. which brings my face, you can see. If I look with this eye at that eye, look what you get. I look at this eye, at your eye there, which brings my face, you can see. If I look with this eye at that eye, look what you get. You see the difference? But it's the same look. And if I keep blinking, it weakens me. But if I'm talking to you, and I don't blink, and I just keep going, and I don't blink, and I keep on going, and I don't blink, and I don't blink, and I just keep going, and I don't blink, and I keep on going, and I don't blink, you start to listen. Something. In the mail sack. Oh, how Ooh. nice. Oh, shall I open it up? Let's of see course, what's in here. Of Let course. See open that sack. Oh my gosh, fancy. This fancy envelope. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Let me go ahead and open this up. Hoity toity. Yeah, very hoity toity. <gasps> the wedding invitation. What? Oh, that's a right, the wedding, wedding of the century. Invitation. Look at this. This is fancy paper here. Oh my gosh. The parents of Sheila Schwartzbaum O'Reilly Bonfigliano. <laughs> wow. Wow. Unexpected. Cordially invite you to the wedding of their daughter, Sheila, aka Ruthless Buzzy, to Richard Stephen Dreyfus, aka the Quail Salmon. On May 19th, 2021, 
at the fish hatchery of Spokane. <laughs> It'll be salmon-chanted evening when you come to our wedding. <laughs> oh, no. You'll row the day if you miss the biggest wedding in the Tooniverse. That's <laughs> <laughs> almighty. Do any fin you can to make it to this wedding. Even if you're ill, even if you're gill, call your doctor, call your sturgeon, and get to this (laughs) wedding. What do you think? Should we go? Can we get off from the podcast that day? I don't know. I don't (laughs) know. We might be recording on the 19th. We might be recording. It's it's interesting how Sheila's parents both... The shame they feel, <laughs> nothing about her hornetness. No, A. nothing. B, clearly, they're not crazy about the quail side of the family. <laughs> when it comes yeah, to you're that. right. It's all, it's all fish puns. There's no, they clearly have a favorite um, here, and it's the, the, and it's the fish that Dr. Merlot spliced I mean, Richard Trifus with. If this is even from her parents, I mean, let's be honest. You know, well, let's be, this that? could be from Merlot. This could be from Dreyfus himself. Who knows? They could just be. I mean, do we think just her be parents, around? Is know. she even awake? Is she even out of hibernation yet? I mean, we're getting to spring. Spring spring is, is sprung in. So, right. but I think it I might be hear, early. Yeah, I want to hear from her. Look, we all know we've gone through weddings before. Best to prepare early. So maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe Dreyfus is doing early preparation. Maybe he is. Maybe because he is. The, the, you got, you know, think about the seating arrangements they're going to have to deal with. Like, are you going to seat tote next to Geppetto? <laughs> oh, that would be We're, problematic. As long as you don't seat him next to food. There's <laughs> no no face drippings. I'm just, I'm, I'm really oh. honored that we were invited. I mean, I feel like in That's a way, nice. th- this whole relationship came about because of this podcast. I mean, it's amazing. The things that this podcast is doing for people. Yeah. It's amazing. It's bringing people together. It's splicing <laughs> species together. Genetically modifying them. Yeah. 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 It's splicing <laughs> major Oscar winning stars with, with half humans. Oh God! Maybe we can do a live podcast from the wedding just to oh, like um, bump up the subscription wow. audience, you know? Oh, that's like do something idea. there. Oh, and, wow! Ooh, that's maybe that could be a gift. Well, maybe that'll that's be the gift bag. A uh, a subscription to opening weekend podcast. Oh, that would that's, be great. Even though it's free, bag. anyone yeah, can do it. Free, no one pays for it. But still, um, that's a good idea, Fred. That's a good idea. Well, I want to. You know, first things first. I want to hear this from the mouth or the buzzer or whatever a bee has of Sheila first. I want to make sure that this is, you know, this is legit because you're absolutely right, Jason. They they are really concentrating on the the fish. Whoever wrote this is concentrating on the fish side of Dreyfus. Clearly, they like the fish. (laughs) They like the fish. Uh, Yeah, May 19th. The wedding's May 19th. That's right around the... uh, that's coming up right around the one year anniversary of this this podcast, which oh, is so great. Oh, okay. so nice. That's so that's cl- close to it. Yeah. Close yeah. to it. That wow. may be that the culmination. Beautiful. That's a beautiful that's really well, nice. If this is legit, we wish them well, of course. But we we just need to do a little more digging. In the meantime, listen and subscribe, people. If you want to know how this turns out, you gotta listen and subscribe and give the five stars. If you want to know how we got here, if you're just joining us for the first time and you're like, wait, who the what the what? They went from Porky's to Richard Dreyfus and Salmon and Sturgeon. Go back and listen to all the episodes, all 42 episodes. That's do it. You know, what, what else are you going to do? You yeah. have the time. Yeah. 
What are you going to listen to NPR? You going to listen to Fresh Air? No. Come on. The same nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Get the saga of Sheila in full by listening to the opening weekend podcast. The two (laughs) sides of Sheila, as it were. The two sides, the Sheila and the- (laughs) Shitoria. Ah, Victor Victoria. Oh, Toddy, if, if you not. listen to me and do exactly as I say, in six weeks you'll be the toast of Paris and we will both be very rich. Oh, did you think of the name? The nightclub is proud to present one of the great entertainers of our time. The one and only Victoria! Oh, baby, won't you play me the jazz hot maybe? Julie Andrews is Victoria Grant, a down-and-out British soprano struggling to find work in the nightclubs of 1930s Paris. While trying to scam a free meal, Grant meets cabaret performer Toddy, played by Robert Preston, who comes up with an idea that will change everything. Acting as her manager, Toddy bills Grant as a male, female impersonator. When the nightclubs eat it up and the duo makes it big, everyone in the city appears to be enamored with Grant, including a visiting Chicago mobster played by James Garner but keeping the truth a secret proves no easy task. After opening with a modest $140,000 at the box office, Blake Edwards' sensitive, sophisticated comedy went on to earn $28.2 million, as well as a host of Oscar nominations, including acting nods for Robert Preston, Leslie Ann Warren, and Julie Andrews, who won the Golden Globe for her performance. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Victor Victoria? Gentlemen, I don't use this word lightly. In fact, I rarely use it. I found this movie delightful, (gasps) delightful from start to finish. The moment she hit that high note and the the owner of the club went, what the hell was that? And he went, a D flat. I'm like, okay, you just, you won me over. (laughs) I, 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 I had seen bits and pieces of this movie when I was a kid at my friend Josh's house. Cause I remember it was either on cable or his parents had taped it. I didn't remember much. I remember the cockroach scene in the beginning. I remember that very well. Mm, But other than that, I don't remember much. I remember it was the commercials and the posters were sort of ubiquitous. There was always, I always remember seeing images of Julie Andrews with that headdress, but I never seen it. But uh, so I watched it last night for the first time and I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was delightful. It was like, there was something so, uh, classical about it. I mean, it was like a Marx Brothers movie and like a French farce. Mm. At the same time, I just thought it was really funny and really a really smart script. The dialogue was great. I thought all the performances were wonderful. I I, I was like, wow, Blake Edwards. And I, I you know, I, I don't know. I was never a huge Pink Panther fan. Um, I don't know those mm. movies that well. Mm, I don't maybe. know. I remember seeing Blake Edwards movies when I was a kid, but again, like I remember seeing 10 and SOB, but I don't remember much about them because they were adult comedies, mm-hmm. you know? So I was like, it, it, not to compare them to Porky's, but for me, it was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be watching this and I don't really understand it because they're adult themes. So I don't know his work that well. Mm. And at least in this, he really knows how to frame comedy. There are there are three scenes, my three favorite moments that really stuck out there, there are three scenes that involve things happening behind windows mm, and mm-hmm. the silence around that and the, yeah. and the difference between what's going on in 
the background behind the window and then what's going on in the foreground. And the first one is when Julie Andrews is staring at the guy eating the pastry. <laughs> yes, great. Which I, I thought was, was great. all throughout that. It's very yeah. Chaplin. Totally yeah. Chaplin. Chaplin. Yeah. Right yeah. off the start, yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, that's what this movie is. That's what they're, they're going for a style. Mm. There was that. There was the scene, the cockroach after the cockroach is, is let loose and then it cuts to outside the restaurant and you <laughs> yeah. just see the chaos inside framed in the window. That's and then great. the moment, which was, which was so great. It was so well done. And then the moment where um, Alex Karras is walking Leslie Ann Warren to the train and she's mm-hmm. screaming and spouting off and yeah. then she goes in the train and you see her walking behind the windows and him walking on the track. And I just, I was like, wow, man, he really, he really knows how to frame this stuff. It really, mm. really works. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe I was just shocked at how funny I found it all. The the handling of, do I want to say this? <laughs> Ale- basically, it's it, this is a wonderful. This you know, there's God. How do I say this? This is just a one big great gay movie, and it's unashamedly <laughs> so, which I which I love. It's just like it's very like La Caja Fall, you know, the birdcage. Very in that sense. La Caja Fall. But the um, moment, and yeah. again, spoiler, because it's a great moment mm-hmm. when Alex Karras comes out. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah, I thought it, and it could have so easily been played as silly. And none of it, it that's, that's, that's yeah. really the great thing about this movie is none of it is treated as a joke. Another movie would, would, would um, have him come out and it would be a surprise. And then he would start doing feminine things, <laughs> exactly. or, or things flitting around comedy. or being yeah. like, being right. like, oh, now I can be me and like, you know, dressing <laughs> differently or something. Yeah. And there's none of that. He's just, no. he's the man he is at all times. And he's yeah. the same person before he he uh, comes out and the same person after and he you mm-hmm. know he's just a man who's like finding comfort and inspiration in seeing somebody he looks up to own his own sexuality what yeah. he perceives to be his his yes. uh, his true sexuality yeah i thought it was yeah i thought it was maybe the most potent thing in in the movie was the alex karras uh the reveal like that yeah you're right fred what a week for alex karras what a <laughs> yeah. week for alex karras yeah <laughs> Mongo only pawn in game of life. Robert Preston was was a joy. I thought yeah. he, he was he was so fun, and Julie Andrews yeah. was great. I really, it, I, I was uh, much as I was with Porky's, but in in different ways. I was surprised from start to finish. Like the physical comedy was so great. The waiter, I love. He's my favorite. That. Wonderful. He was my favorite performance in the movie. His name is Graham Stark. He was my favorite. So good. Terrific. So. Good, but just, yep. and just little things. I mean, there was so much of that. Yeah. Like Chaplin-esque and Marx Brothers stuff and just little tiny bits of physical comedy and nothing was overblown. I kept thinking, I was like, wow, you put this And as much as I enjoy Mel Brooks, I was like, Mel Brooks really would have ruined this movie and taken mm, it over right. the yeah. top <laughs> with a lot yeah. of that. But Blake Edwards, it's, everything is so deftly done and it, it, he yeah, doesn't strike me as that kind of director no, normally, but I mean, no. I don't know a lot of his work, but it seems like, you know, he goes for the body sex comedy or the kind of broad Inspector Clouseau type stuff. And it's funny, there's even the character here, the, the detective seems yep. to be an homage to Clouseau, you know. Um, and that's anyway, the yeah. movie's misstep for me. That, that and the casting of James Garner are the two big missteps uh, ah. for me. James Garner, I think, is very wooden. Uh, in this, I, I wanted a lot more of that. What you mentioned, Jason, a lot more of that soul searching, a lot more of that wrestling 
with it. And, and he's, he's not a, he's the opposite of a Chicago mobster. He's, he's, Mm. he's Maverick, you know, he's, he's, he's too, um, I kept wanting De Niro to be in this thing. I kept, I kept wanting somebody who I could buy, who I could buy as, as a tough mobster type who, who would really have something to wrestle with as far as his masculinity goes. But by and large, I really enjoyed the movie too. I I really, really did. I I thought it was, I mean, it's the opposite of Porky's. The fact that this movie and mm-hmm. Porky's came out in the same week, this movie being so progressive, so forward thinking, so yeah. respectful, um, yeah. so, yeah. you know, not doing any of the things that exactly a lesser director would have would have um, would have pushed the line towards towards parody spoof or or just, you know, um, insulting humor Um uh, and and I and this movie doesn't do that. I agree with you, Fred, that it's so much of it is delightful. I I was I was back and forth on Robert Preston for the first, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of it. And I was like, am I digging the music man in this? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I, he's, yeah. he's awesome. He's fantastic in he's it so because he's doing so much that is theatrical and yet well sized, not outsized for. For film right. and Leslie Ann Warren is too, you know. Leslie Ann Warren is too. It's not sometimes outsized. she grates, and yeah. I, I don't care for her sometimes. But no, but oh. I liked her in this a lot. Yeah, and I was yeah. pleasantly surprised to see that she had the nomination because I was like, what she's doing here is actually very. There's a high degree of difficulty. There was once a shady day from Seville. Used to wander around the town dressed to kill. And men, if they dared, stood and stared when she passed their way. The lady knocked them out. There's no doubt, yes, but a shout. Oh, lay, oh, Mary. <laughs> Robert Preston at the end. Doing again, not to Fantastic. spoil anything. Fantastic. He was having so much fun. Yeah, it was yeah. great, and you, it, it almost—it seemed to me that seemed like it was like done in one take. They're like, all right, you're going to yeah. rehearse it, and then you're just going to do it. And if something goes wrong, we're just going to keep rolling. It seemed so spontaneous mm-hmm. and natural. I was like, wow, man, he's a master at what he does. I love Julie Andrews. I thought she was wonderful. I kept seeing Fred Astaire or Bing Crosby. There was something. I mean, yeah. really, the hair did most of it because she's so yeah. delicately featured. Her bone structure. Right. She really... She's a beautiful woman and it's hard to escape that. But then you just yeah. think, oh, no, well, this is why she would be, if she was a man, a perfect candidate to be a female impersonator because she is so slim and delicately featured and everything else. Yeah. So you have to be able to, like, see both simultaneously. And that's what this movie is all about, right? You're, that you can yep. see the feminine and the masculine simultaneously. And I think she does a a very beautiful, subtle credible job you know and and when she finds like the register when preston helps her find the register she needs to sing mm-hmm. in to be convincing to be like yes it's you still sound like a a woman but you sound like it could be a man playing a woman and and the gestural life she gives to things it's a, that's a great scene where he kind of talks her through what yeah. she'll need to do to sell the work and and then i think it's yeah watching her perform it is just it's very very subtle it's very delicate the Nothing's arch, nothing's overblown, but it's just tip, just enough, just enough from the Julie Andrews we know to heighten it, you know, ever so much to be like, oh, it's it's a performance within a performance. Mm. I thought she was great. She was great. great. Like I said, she won me over right from that first scene of her outside watching the guy at the pastry. I thought right then I was like, oh, okay, I'm in. 
I mean, I really like, I, I like the style of this. I like what they're doing. I think what she's doing is great. And yeah, I agree with you, Jason. I thought she was fantastic all the way through. And so much so, even though, you know, we know it's, it's in the name, Victor, Victoria, we know what it's about. Mm-hmm. By the time it got to that moment, everything was set up so well. I thought by the time it got to the moment of Robert Preston being like, wait a minute, let's do this. I was surprised. I forgot. I was like, oh, oh, that's right. That's what this is about. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want her to be, it, it really it took me by you, yeah. It fooled me. And I thought, oh, that's, <laughs> that's actually a crazy idea. Yeah. And I really like too how. Because it was natural. It was just it was two natural, natural stories that came together, two people and their circumstances. And it kind of unfolded in a very uh, uh, natural, easy, believable way. Yeah. So, because normally you'd be saying at the outset, okay, this is what this is, this kind of transvestite comedy and so everything's about muscling the plot to get to the 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 high concept conceit Mm -hmm. right and that's not what this was it just was a very a kind of natural evolution of their two storylines and that's why it's great that's why it takes you by surprise i think can i ask a question um did you uh, this was a point of confusion for me garner is hiding in her bathroom watching her disrobe he's in the yeah. closet in her bathroom mm-hmm. watching her disrobe and then she fully disrobes gets in the tub we don't see that but we see garner seeing her big smile comes across her face mm-hmm. did you get the impression that that was the moment that he knew she was female yeah yes yeah absolutely that's okay. what i thought that's what that i he knew thought for too. sure yeah that's what i thought too but then later it seems like he doesn't know again and that never comes up again of like no i know you're a woman because i've seen your your female body you see what i mean and i was like oh maybe he maybe i misinterpreted that but if you guys both felt it as well in that yeah, moment i, know. I, I felt he knew but that he was playing his cards close to the t- like he okay. wasn't he wasn't outing her the next time he saw her but you know i agree with you i have the same thought i yeah I, to me it very clearly played out that okay that's where he knows he's watching he's watching she disrupts how are you not he sees her get in the tub yeah we don't see it but we see him react to it it's like okay he's he's seen her and i didn't know if the scene was going to go that way i was like are we somehow going to get something about what she does that like she (laughs) yeah or something or she gets in the water in such a way that he doesn't get to see it he keeps leaning and she's sort of half behind a wall and he keeps leaning out to try to see i was like oh he can't see her but then you see the smile come over his face and i went oh he did see her but then it never that doesn't come up you're again you're right because because then when he does kiss her he goes well you know goddamn and even if you you know i, right, I don't even true. care if you're a man right so you, you, right. you're right dan you're that's a bit now that i'm thinking about it that because is because that's of a his crisis of conscience right it's like look i don't care if you're a man woman whatever i love you and that's that a beautiful it, moment that doesn't that resonate as much powerful. if he knows she's female right yeah you're right it would have made it more powerful if he still didn't know yeah, yeah he, says, I, he right. says i don't care if you were a man she says i'm not he says i still don't care so and that's interesting yeah you're right dan you know it, it is, takes it something little, out of that for it me it does because yeah, he might he may really say i don't care but the stakes are lessened because mm-hmm. he knows I just find it hard to believe that you're a man. Because you found me attractive as a woman? Yes, as a matter of fact. It happens frequently. Not to me. It just proves the old adage, there's a first time for everything. I don't think so. But you're not a hundred percent sure. Practically. Ah, but to a man like you, someone who believes he could never, under any circumstances, find another man attractive. 
The margin between practically and for sure must be as wide as the Grand Canyon. I, the fact that she did in, in the end, now maybe I'm missing something here. There's something not wholly satisfying about the fact that they don't kind of go off in the sunset with like, I'm like a fucking star as a male female impersonator and i'm going to continue this life and we're just going to live our life together that he she does say no it's too much i just want to be at home with james garner and you know and it's and it's on her terms but that she gives up something to become the conventional female partner to him I, i that I didn't care for. I, I felt, you know, the Robert Preston number at the end is great, <laughs> yeah. but it feels like a I soft wanted more. ending. I, yeah. I thought the same thing I too. I was, surp- I was surprised when it ended because I was thinking the same thing. Well, what happens to her? What happens right. to her? Right. Right. It felt and abrupt to me. That. It's like, and, and it's like yet, they'll live happily ever after. Yeah. And she'll have a kid with James Garner. Or you yes. even give it a some like a hot ending with, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah, it's like, well, way. nobody's perfect. You know, exactly. where you just make it so sort of like, what? You know, well, that's the thing. It would be really, I mean, imagine <laughs> if it was like, yeah. I mean, and you get those moments where Garner's like out in the world with her and he's a man. They're out at dinner and they're out dancing and they're l- seeming to live life together, you know, uh, in in this very unique <laughs> way. And and I, I I found that fascinating and thought, how interesting would it have been if if he was like, OK, for you, I'm going to live life like this so you can i mean maybe that's not a great lesson either like and then she'll perpetuate a con for the rest of her life i don't Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that but i mean it's working for her whatever it is and it's her choice so i i kind of you know i i found that really scintillating when it seemed like garner was along was like i'm gonna i'm open to this i'm i'm opening myself up to this i found that very um surprising see if they were going to move on if they were going to do a sitcom of it they could have that would have been great because that could have been the ending that he's like listen i will we'll keep this going you know you'll still be a woman posing as a man i'm gonna just accept that i'm gonna let people think that i'm a gay man married to another man and we'll go on living like this and then you move it to you know nbc at uh (laughs) Eight o'clock prime time, and it's the continuing misadventure. You get Peter Scolari Exa- involved. Peter Scolari yeah. is like the best friend. <laughs> yes. Or maybe 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 Peter Scolari takes over the James Garner role. Yes. On TV, but then it's always, you know, <laughs> this the, the nosy neighbors poking in and trying. You know, something's up. Something's going on here, and it just just keeps continuing. Robert Preston would, of course, he would stick with the show because you need like, you yeah. need the one star from the movie, but right. It would have made a great television show. Listen up, Disney Plus. Get it going. Get get on it. Get on it. I think it's so interesting about that ending, though, because it's like, okay, let's say it did end that way. They would both be, I think part of the messaging of the ending is like, well, they have to be their true selves. because They'd both be living a lie. Yeah, exactly. They'd both be living a lie. And that's that that big conversation they have on the bed, which I think is the best scene in the movie. That's the first time I really thought they connected. You know, I didn't feel a connection between them. And I kind of blame Garner a little bit because he's just so, he's just so fucking wooden in this, you know, up to then. But their their relationship is a little rushed. Yeah, the relationship's rushed, but he didn't bother me. His performance didn't bother me. He says so little throughout most of the movie. It was like a silent movie performance i was yeah. like i was like, I agreed you know just hearing you guys talk yes it would have been nice to see what happens to victoria what happens to julie andrews with giving this up and what does robert preston gain from taking over that mm-hmm. mantle what does he get out of this because right. i think at the end he's like this is going to be my last performance 
So then again, what are the stakes for him? Which doesn't take away the delightfulness of it all. No, but it it deflates the balloon a little bit because we've been, we we have, it's been such a high stakes situation the entire time. And the tightrope is pulled quite tight throughout this movie. And then it just kind of slackens in the last, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And, and, and and you, you, you want something that the movie can't, you know, can't really deliver on without, without violating its own truth, without violating the truth of the two main characters. It Mm -hmm. does, you know, we keep talking about movies sticking the landing. This kind of didn't for me. I would still probably give it a good eight Sheila's because I really had fun. I, 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 I thought the performances are all great. Well, it's interesting. All three of these movies kind of, they're all varying degrees of, you know, quality and enjoyment levels and stuff, but yet they all kind of whiff it at the end. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Porky's on its terms. I think I'm seven Sheila's on this. And That's where uh, I'm going is seven. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm going you seven. know what it was? It was I compared the, the end of this movie as unsatisfying as it was, you know, when I did, I did the Buddy Holly story and uh, what I thought with the brilliance behind it, it wasn't a great book. I mean, the music's great. Buddy Holly music's great. The script was not very good at mm. all, but it didn't matter because you got to the end. The show ended with this great big rock concert. So yeah, it didn't matter fun. if people didn't like the rest of it at, by the end. Everyone was up on their feet, screaming and cheering and loving it. And that's how I sort of felt with this. It wasn't the ending I wanted, Mm. but I enjoyed watching Robert. it was the ending you got. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I just enjoyed watching Robert Preston having so much fun. And I was happy for all the characters, you know. So, you know, I still, when it ended, I was still smiling. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but Mm -hmm. there was a question of, but, oh, that's. That's how it ends. Yep. Yeah, it did feel abrupt. It was like, yeah, oh, it's an here we end. are. And there's it, like, it says Julie Andrews. I was like, what? <laughs> so, we're still in the scene. I thought that Alex Karras stuff was played so beautifully. But of course, they have to have the moment where you know, for the audience that can't absorb it and thinks it's not realistic, James Garner has to say, but you, but you box, but you're like this tough guy. And he has right. to say like, well, look, if you're a gay guy, you, you know, you better be a tough guy. You better learn how to box. Otherwise you're, you know, it's like, can, can't you not just be like a boxer who happens to be gay? Can't you just be Oh, like, I actually like that. I, I liked didn't. His, I, I thought, I, I thought it was thought just a little. he played it really well. He played it fine. They played it fine. I think the screenplay didn't need it. I don't think it needed it. It was a qualifier. It was like, mm, all right. It's like you. It's like, how can he be gay when he's so tough? And it's like, well, think about it. You got to be <laughs> tough to survive being gay. It's like it's so funny because that moment made me think of the WWF wrestler Pat Patterson, who, who of course it did, who was a famed like tough guy, like unbreakable tough guy who was gay, who lived as a closeted gay man, his entire life, his entire career. And then on like one of the WWF reality shows where he's sitting around a dinner table with Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul, Mr. Wonderful and other people. He's like, you guys, I was, I lived as gay man, my entire, (laughs) my entire life and career. And they were all like, Holy fuck. Yeah. He's like, you know, my friend, you know, whoever who used to come by the, (laughs) the arena, that was my, (laughs) that was my partner. For wow. decades and decades. And, Andre and the Giant? The, yeah. 
Me and Andre. Uh, uh, Pat Patterson lived a double life. Pat Harrington also. You know, he was like, <laughs> who's he trying to convince with those denim vests and rolling the cigarettes up in the sleeve? It's like, exactly. we get it. The mustache tells us the whole story, Schneider. Yeah. yeah. Liberace, you'll be shocked to know, also gay. Okay. What? Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Next week, we return with a very special episode. We are traveling back to March 31st, 1999. And the release of uh, one of the, the biggest blockbusters of all time, The Matrix, the original Matrix, starring mm. Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lawrence Fishburne. And I have a very fun story about seeing that film on opening <laughs> night. Um, as well as uh, Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You, an adaptation of the Shakespeare play The Taming of the Shrew. And next week's a very special episode because we are finally having our special guest, Patricia King, also Yay. known as Anna Maria Alfieri. She is a, a, a great uh, mystery writer and author who mm. uh, makes her home both here in the United States and in Italy. Her pen name is Anna Maria Alfieri, but I know her as Patricia King. She is uh, uh, on the board of the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival, where I have performed for many years. Dan performed there in uh, 2013, and she actually bid on the opportunity to be a part of the opening weekend podcast as part of Hudson Valley's uh <laughs> A uh, big um, gala this past year. Um, they That's auctioned, crazy. auctioned off an opportunity to wow. uh, sit and chat with us about movies, and she is so so excited. And we've Yay. been emailing back and forth. And uh, and I thought since she is a, an aficionado of Shakespeare, this would be a great week to schedule her because we have our first Shakespeare adaptation. So we'll talk about uh, ten things I hate about you with her. But then we're also going to the four of us will then chime in with our top five. Shakespeare adaptations on film. So that should be really fun. She's got very strong opinions and uh, I think she's going to mop the floor with all of us um, (laughs) in a delightful Uh, way. Um, uh, But she's really excited and she's a lovely, lovely person. And I'm so happy to have her join us and so happy to uh, that Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival put this all together. So yay. Thank you, Hudson Valley Shakespeare. That's next week uh, on opening weekend. Danny, what you got? I think we got to do a little le jazz hot, gentlemen. Ooh. I'm going to try from a little from from Victor Victoria. This was a you great You don't want to song. try anything from Sutter Secret? <laughs> can you can you hand fart falsetto? It's not that I don't want to. I think it's too complex. I think it's too it complex is. a melody. Too demanding. Too yeah, demanding. It's too demanding. It would make my hands hurt too much. That's but why it was only performed once. It was a right. show that can only be performed once. That was it. It was the show itself was the showstopper. Yep. Uh, the, the did you notice this Henry Mancini? You know the jazz hot starts with but up but up, and Henry Mancini's most famous famous thing in the world is but um but um but um, which is Pink oh, Panther. Wow. But jazz right. hot is basically a sped up version of that but up but up. You know, so it's oh, wow. it's his Look signature. Yeah, see that, see that. So it starts that way.
Wow. That was magnifique. I was transported to gay Paris. Now I'm imagining you going back to your hotel room and removing your special manualist gloves while James Garner watches you and smiles as you wash your hands. He's like, oh, yeah, I, that's what I that's what I thought he was hiding. under there. I don't know what he was hiding man's hands under there. The manly hands of a manualist and of Emmanuel Lewis. <laughs> Thank you, Just Alex trying to Harris. bring it back around to Alex Karras. It's all about Alex Karras. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Stupid. Spending my time just holding the line. Never getting caught up. Love was never brought up. It's not the thing to do. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.